This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Kids, if you're going to class, you are dismissed. You go with me to prayer before we look at God's word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for all the life in this room. I thank you now as we look to your word that you have promised to be faithful to your word, that you have promised that your word is active and useful and so, Lord, we pray now that it would be just that, that you would penetrate our, our hearts and our minds, the intentions of our thoughts and actions. And, Father, show us what a, what a wonderful God we serve, how faithful and true you are, how steady, how mighty, how worthy you are, of our lives and our trust. Father, it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. We're going to wrap up 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning if you want to start heading there in your Bibles. I read a, a news story this week about a group of inmates in Oklahoma who are suing the Oklahoma Board of Corrections. It sounds like they had a, a genuinely terrible experience. They're, they're suing the Board of Corrections, saying that they were tortured by the guards. They say they were forced to stand in a meeting room and listen to the song Baby Shark for hours on end. Ironically, I think if they can get enough mothers on the jury... They'll probably win. But that sent my ADD brain into overdrive. And I began wondering, why do things like that stick in our minds? Why do those kind of songs just make a home and, like squatters, never go away? So I thought I might see if I couldn't torture you for the next couple of days. Remember that song, the, the Chili's Jingle? I want my baby back, baby back, baby. Remember that one? Just goes on and on and on. Remember instant coffee? The best part of waking up is... There you go. That one's going to stick. I don't know why those songs have caused so much emotional trauma over the past decades. They're just sticky for some reason. Maybe Dick could explain it to us. But this morning I have something better I want to get stuck in your head. For going on two plus chapters now, Peter has been talking about the potential difficulties and suffering of the Christian life. And I know what Peter has said and, and, and what I have said has caused all different flavors of emotions. I know it has caused fear, anxiety, concern. I know it's even caused anger. 
But this morning, I want you to leave here absolutely certain that in the face of that suffering, in the face of that potential pain, in the face of the the hardness of the Christian life, that we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are those who have faith. We are those who, like our Savior, we, we lean into the darkness and the evil and the persecution because He has overcome this, this world. We, we are those who believe our God when He says that He works all things together for the good. Because we are those who believe our God when He said, if I did not spare my Son in giving Him to you, will I not give you anything else and everything else you need for life and godliness? That's who we are. How do we do that? How do we actually live those lives? How, how do we live with that fortitude and strength and confidence that Peter has called us to in the face of persecution and submission? Well, this morning we have to begin at the end because I want to get verse 19 stuck in your head. This is the core summary, the melodic line, the central focus, the, the overall theme of, first Peter, of the letter of 1 Peter. He says in chapter 4, of, uh, verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So how do we live those lives of difficulty that Peter has called us to live? How do we live those lives of, of submission even to ungodly authorities that are in our life, yet keep honoring them and doing good to them? And how do we live those lives with such hope that it makes outsiders curious about how we do it. Peter's answer is we entrust our souls to a faithful creator. We trust that nothing happens to us that's outside of his will. We trust that nobody can do anything to us that he hasn't already ordained. We entrust our souls to our creator because he alone is faithful. So that's my goal this morning is to convince you to entrust your soul to God. To entrust your soul to God. Because look back up at the beginning of our passage in verse 12. In verse 12 where Peter tells us first, when you entrust your soul to God, you don't need to be surprised by the fiery trial. He says in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Well, that's a silly question, Pastor Grant. I'm sitting here in church, aren't I? I don't know about you, but with the advent of Amazon and next day delivery, I'm at the point now where I'm kind of agitated if I have to go to the store and buy something. It should be available at a click and then delivered the next day. 
But even if that's not you, I know all of us have had this experience of where we've ordered something online. It was delivered to our home, but, but when it arrived, the box was mashed and torn and bent like somebody had a personal grudge against whatever was in there, like they, they thought fragile was Spanish for, I bet you can't break what's inside of me, or something like that. Here's what I find interesting, at least in my life. My Jesus said in John chapter 15, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. He said in Matthew chapter 24, You will be delivered up to tribulation and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. He said in John chapter 17, when he was praying for me, he said, he said to our Father, he said, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. And inspired by his spirit, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I could go on for days. There's countless other verses like that. But what I find interesting is that I say I trust God, yet so often what I mean is, is I trust him for the good things. I trust him for plenty, but not want. I, I, I trust him for success, but not failure. I trust him for comfort, but not suffering. In other words, my heart and my actions expose that I don't trust God will deliver when it comes to his promises of suffering. Can you relate to that? Because I think at different times, all of us have ordered something from God that he's not selling. We've ordered a comfortable life free of defect and heartache. And we're surprised when that box arrives at the door with a big dent in it. So we call heavenly customer service and we complain that our order has been mishandled. But listen, when we entrust our souls to God... We no longer have to be surprised by fiery trials as though something strange were happening because it says right in the product description of the gospel, fiery trials included. In fact, look back down at verse 19. Peter says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. Let that sink in for a minute. Our suffering in this life is not some cosmic mistake. God didn't take his hands off the wheel. He says, let those who suffer according to God's will. Have you spent any time in the past six months suffering? Any heartache? Any insults? Any pain? Any tears? Peter says that is God's will for your life. Which means, contrary to our objections, it wasn't a mistake. And just to be clear, I'm not only talking about the, the suffering that comes directly from, from spreading the gospel or being a missionary or, or something like that. 
I believe this applies to any kind of suffering. Sickness, cancer, drunk drivers, global economics, politicians, children, parents, COVID. This applies to all kinds of suffering. God is, God is, his will is being served in all kinds of suffering, including direct persecution for our faith. Because listen, no matter what the suffering is, the question thrown at us is always the same. Will you turn from God or will you turn to him? Will you blame God or will you trust him? It doesn't matter if it's prostate cancer or persecution, if it's global economics or God-hating atheists. It doesn't matter if it's Satan or senators, even though sometimes they seem the same. The question is still the same. Do you trust God? Just glance forward just a bit to chapter 5 in verse 8 and look what Peter says about our enemy. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. In other words, it doesn't matter where the suffering comes from. Our enemy is looking for a way to ask the question, where is your God? He's looking for a reason to ask, what good is he to you if he couldn't keep this from happening? Why do you believe in a God that would allow this to happen to you? Don't you know everybody thinks you're crazy for believing in a God that would, would let this happen? Where is your God? But Peter says when we entrust our souls to God, we do not have to be surprised at the fiery trial. But not only do we not have to be surprised, look at verse 13 where Peter says that when we entrust our souls to God, we can rejoice because we'll be closer to Him. He says, But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Helen Rosevere a Christian British medical doctor, had been serving in Zaire, Africa for nearly 20 years. But in 1964, her and her colleagues found themselves caught up in a revolution, and they ended up facing about five and a half months of horrific torture. She confessed that there were times when this was happening that she wondered whether or not God had abandoned her. But she recorded one time being overwhelmed by his presence, God saying to her, quote, 20 years ago you asked me for the privilege of being a missionary, the privilege of being identified with me. This is it. Don't you want it? This is what it means. These are not your sufferings. They are mine. All I ask of is the loan of your body. Look back at what Peter said in verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. 
He's talking about our suffering, and he's saying that, that we're sharing Christ's suffering. That you may rejoice, he says, and be glad when his glory is revealed. In other words, listen, we can't stand next to, to Christ in his glory if we're unwilling to stand next to him in his suffering. But this is where the gospel does things backwards. Because that sounds like earning our place next to Christ when we say it like that. But it's not. Because the gospel takes standing next to Christ in suffering and makes it a blessing, not a job. Look at what Peter says in verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Whether it be cruel physical suffering or simply an insult, we are blessed when that happens because the Spirit of God rests on us. In other words, when we suffer, not before, when we suffer, God gives, him, gives us more of Himself. In her journals, Corey Ten Boom described this truth through a conversation she had with her father. She was concerned about what she was hearing when she was younger about the the Nazi revolution going on and all the death and killing. And she said to her father, I'm afraid I won't be able to be faithful if things get bad for us. And her father said back to her, Corey, when we go to Amsterdam, when do I give you the ticket? And she answered, right before we get on the train. And exactly, her father responded. And our wise father in heaven knows when we are going to need things too. Don't run ahead of him, Corey. When the time comes, you will look into your heart and find the strength you need just in time. Listen, just like Corey getting on a train to Amsterdam, if we entrust our souls to God, we can rejoice when trials come because that's when he gives us more of him. And just to make sure we understand the magnitude of what Peter is saying, Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 and 2 spoke of another one on whom the Spirit of the Lord would rest. He said, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Peter's not using those words as an accident. He says the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And then in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, when Jesus came out of the water, signifying his, his entrance, the beginning to his ministry of suffering. Matthew said, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he came up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. When Jesus needed God resting on him, right before, not when he was three, not when he was four, but the Bible actually describes the Spirit coming to rest on him immediately right when he went into the wilderness to suffer. And just as, as, as Kim pointed out this morning, finally in Luke chapter 23, when Jesus was dying, he now said, Into your hands I commit your sp my spirit. Do you think Jesus had what he needed to, to endure the suffering he faced? 
Do you think Jesus received enough of the Spirit of God to submit to the authorities that were going to kill him? Do you think enough of God's Spirit rested on Jesus to comfort and encourage and propel him through his suffering? Of course he did. Listen, though, Peter is saying that same spirit that rested on Jesus in his hour of need will rest upon us when we need him. But we must entrust our souls to God. Because we won't get that ticket until we board that train. We want to move ahead of God, but we must trust him. We want to know how to get through the suffering before the suffering occurs, but we must trust Him. We must entrust our souls to God. We must trust that our God will give us what we need when we submit. We must trust that our God will give us the words to say when we're questioned. We must trust that our God will give us what we need not only to endure, but we must trust that he'll give us so much of himself that we can rejoice that we get to stand so close to him. That's the first thing Peter wants us to know about entrusting our souls to our faithful creator. That when we entrust our souls to God, we not only need not be surprised at the fiery trial, but we can rejoice because we will be closer to him. But Peter's not finished. Look at verse 16. He says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the house of, household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now, to understand what Peter is saying here, you need to see that he is making a connection between our suffering and the judgment of God. Notice he says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Then he says in verse 17, For it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God. Up until now, Peter has been talking about suffering at the hands of, of other ungodly people. But here he seems to be saying that we might suffer because of God's judgment. If you look closely at the beginning of verse 16, notice Peter doesn't say, If you suffer for being a Christian... He just says if you suffer as a Christian, meaning if you're in the Christian group instead of the non-Christian group, then you can glorify God instead of being ashamed of your suffering. And then he says that suffering is a result of the judgment of God. So how in the world can I glorify God instead of being ashamed when I'm suffering at the hand of his judgment? The answer comes from the Proverbs, Proverbs 11, that he quotes. He says, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now, that doesn't mean that Christians will barely make it. It just means that we are saved through the difficulty of God's judgment instead of being destroyed by it. 
In other words, listen, what Peter is saying is for God's children, his judgment is not destruction, it's discipline. Our suffering is never punitive. For the child of God, our suffering suffering is always productive. Now the ungodly, on the other hand, the destructive wrath of an angry God awaits. But not us. And, And Peter is saying we can glorify God in our suffering because we will only ever face the careful discipline of a loving father. And I know this is the case because Peter's already said this. If you look back at chapter 1, in verse 6, talking of our salvation, Peter says in this, You rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, If we entrust our souls to God, not only can we rejoice because it brings us closer to Him, but we can glorify our Father because our suffering is always His refining. Our suffering is always His refining. We don't ever suffer God's judgment because He's just mad and He wants us to suffer. It's never useless. The writer of Hebrews spoke of this. In chapter 12, you can turn there if you want. It's only a few pages to your left, but you don't have to. The writer of Hebrews said about and spoke of this in chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. He said, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So there's the loving discipline of our heavenly Father that Peter called judgment. But what I want you to see then is the outcome of that that the writer of Hebrews talks about. Look what he says next after what Peter was talking about. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 12 says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Brothers and sisters, when we entrust our souls to God, our drooping hands and weak knees are strengthened. I want you to leave here absolutely certain that we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who have entrusted our souls to a faithful creator. So that even when we are judged for our own sins, it's only discipline from a loving father. 
The pain and the suffering that we go through in this life serves only to bring us closer to Him as He pours out His Spirit on us. What does it actually look like to rejoice instead of being surprised? What does that actually look like? What does it look like to glorify God instead of being ashamed of our suffering? Let me just talk crazy for a minute. The next time someone asks you how you're doing, instead of explaining how difficult it's been to go through a certain trial, and even though you don't want to, and even though you don't feel like it, and even though everything inside of you is saying the opposite, lift your drooping head and explain to them how blessed you are to go through it because you get to share in Christ's suffering. And God is giving you more of Himself. Or the next time you face the consequences of your fallen nature, instead of wallowing in your shame and grace, or your shame and disgrace, excuse me, strengthen your weak knees. Just try it just once and proclaim the gospel of grace and the glory that, that, that your God would love you enough to discipline you instead of destroy you. That sounds ridiculous. And that's the gospel. That's captive set free. That's those who were enslaved having been ransomed. Those are just two examples that, that I dare you to try. And watch how, how when you say those things when you don't want to, when you, when, you, when you force yourself to be that way, watch that the Spirit of God will rest on you and you'll even begin to feel what you're saying. And, 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 and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that that gospel won't be proclaimed through tears. I'm not saying that, that, that those blessings won't come in the midst of grief. I'm not saying that we won't join Paul who said he is sorrowful yet always rejoicing. We'll just include the rejoicing instead of just the sorrowful. What I am saying is that if we would entrust our souls to a faithful creator, if we truly would do that, if we would open up our lives and give tomorrow to him, rejoicing and glorifying him for whatever comes, because he works all things for the good of those who love him, we would be those who do not fear because we trust that our God is on our side. If, if we would do this, we would be those who, who, like our Savior, lean into the suffering we experience in this present darkness because we trust that He has overcome the world. We would be those who rejoice in our suffering because we trust that it, that it only brings us closer to our Savior. We would be those who glorify our Heavenly Father because we trust that our suffering only serves to make us more like Him. We would be those who entrust our souls to a God who said, if I did not spare my son, if I did not hold him back, then will I not give you all things, everything you need for life and godliness? Brothers and sisters, I stand alongside the writer of Hebrews and call us this morning to lift, lift our drooping heads and rejoice in our suffering. What's going on in our culture right now is not an opportunity to hang our heads and, and weep and, and be sorrowful. It's a time to lift our heads and rejoice 
that we are being included in Christ's suffering. When everyone you hang around with is miserable, let joy show. Weird them out by it. I stand next to the writer of Hebrews and call us to strengthen our weak knees and glorify our loving Father in the midst of our trials, even if it's while tears are streaming down our cheeks. That is the mystery of the gospel. Let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Because then Peter says, because after we have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. We must entrust our souls to that God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are such a big, powerful, wonderful, forgiving, merciful, holy, wrathful, gracious God. Our minds, much less our language, can hardly contain who you are, what you've promised. Our, our nature struggles to understand how, how your grace works in the midst of judgment and, and how joy comes from suffering. And all you ask us to do is trust you. Even if it's just a little trust, even if it's just the, the, uh, the trust the size of a mustard seed, Father, you, you just ask us to trust you and then you prove yourself over and over and over again to be faithful, Lord. Hallelujah. I praise you and I thank you and I glorify you for your faithfulness and the way that we have, have seen you in our weakness time and time again. Remain faithful and remain gracious. Father, direct our, our hearts and our minds to what we have already seen even in our own lives, much less your word, that you are a God that we can entrust our souls to. And that comfort and that power and that grace and that strength can grow in us a joy and a peace, a heart that confounds this world. Father, thank you for blessing us with our Savior who has bought us this gift, this gift of your love and your mercy. And so it is in his name that I pray. Amen.